Shall we record? We have a wiggle. Hey, it's Engineering Podcast. I'm Adam. I'm Brian. Oh, that's what I'm fucking up. <clears throat> my monitors were still on. That's why it felt a little echoey in my head. Aha. Uh-huh. Problem solved. Got it. Fixed. <laughs> so quickly that I'll probably leave it in the edit. Successful arms are being thrown in the air. Welcome back for another hang in the laboratory. Thanks for joining us. Special thanks, as always, to our supporters who throw us, I don't know, some, whatever. Click on the button. You'll see the numbers. It's reasonable. I promise you at support.zengineeringpodcast.com. Support. So what's up, man? Oh, you know, just hanging out, trying to feel not sick, trying to get some exercise again, hoping to go to the it gym sounds like today. You're over, <laughs> sounds like you're over 35. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we got to move quick on this one because we got segments. We got to bring back, we got to bring back our old space news segment that we stopped forcibly trying to do few episodes ago. yeah because there's a lot of excitement in the space industry but what are we talking to af- what are we talking about after that uh we're talking about like uh the progression and the development tour in egypt of- oh are we specific <laughs> we're definitely going to be talking a little bit about that but just in general kind of like how games and reality has evolved and how people interact now and you know it's it's a vr episode <laughs> It's about VR. It's a VR. We're discussing episode. some virtual reality, I think. But before we get to the VR, space news. Uh, the SpaceX crew capsule launch test, etc., was a success, right? It landed in the ocean. They picked mm-hmm. it up. Yeah. Well, first it launched, and then it uh, went to the International Space Station. <laughs> I think the easy part was falling in the ocean. The crash <laughs> test dummy. The, neither the crash test dummy nor the plush toy used for cute social media (laughs) tomfoolery uh, were damaged. I didn't see the cute plush toy. Now I assume Elon Musk has a little stuffed animal that he's like, bitch. (laughs) It's been in space. Putting that on his Totally, that's a great stuffed animal to have. (laughs) I want a space animal. This this stuffed animal has been to the space station. Maybe it stayed up in the space station. Yeah, that's fun, too. They need stuffed animals up there, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, so talk about what happened with that. Do what? What's what's the... what's For those (laughs) uninformed, what happened with the crew capsule? Uh, So... You just mean like, what is the launch? Yeah, like, what's the evolution here? Why is this a big test? The fact that it was successful, like, why do we care? (laughs) Let me try that again. (laughs) So (laughs) this is the first time. Well, a couple things are really important. This is the first time that a private company, like a non-governmental agency, uh, more specifically, a (laughs) non-humongous governmental agency, uh, one of the few that can launch stuff into space, uh, has launched the equivalent of a person in a spaceship designed to carry people uh, up to the International Space Station. So SpaceX specifically launched their crew capsule on one of their rockets, one of their reusable rockets, uh, in a test 
to see if we could safely deliver a crash test dummy or whatever, hopefully a space launch test smarty uh, to the International Space Station. And it was successful. They made it up there. Uh, they brought the capsule back. Uh, they recovered it. And I believe the next launch scheduled for, I don't know, middle of this year, a little later this year, is going to launch uh, humans, real, live, living, breathing Yeah, two people, people are going to hitch a ride to the space is it station. American astronauts? Shuttled by a private, yes, American astronauts. Uh, I, I believe they're, I don't know if they're like SpaceX employees or if they're NASA. I think they're NASA uh, employees. So, you know. Yeah, I don't think SpaceX has astronauts yet. NASA astronauts uh, are hitching a ride to the International Space Station uh, on a on a rocket launched by a company yeah. for profit. For profit, with, <laughs> with contracted directly with NASA to launch people into space, to launch people and cargo. That's what that's what Tesla makes its. Excuse me, not Tesla. Sorry, too many companies. Uh, that's what SpaceX makes its money on is these big contracts to launch cargo up until now into space uh, and now to launch people. And there are other less flashy companies following closely behind sure. what SpaceX is doing in a very sort of public way. Um, it's, it's, it's a significant hurdle because it means stuff are about to get stuff's about to get weird the way that things do once we roll in market economics. Uh, we're already having this situation of like, okay, we're, we're already filling launch windows as quickly as possible to put like satellites and sh little tiny little CubeSat satellites mm -hmm. in orbit to help with communications. Like it's already in a space of prices are coming down. Private companies are going, mm -hmm. we should put a satellite up there. <laughs> I've thought about it. I mean, you can do it for, if you if you're willing to wait a pretty long time. You can get a thirty dollar CubeSat into space that'll beam back down to where you can read it. It's it's absurd. Uh, I've thought about building my own rockets and launching my own spaceships. I just started that conversation last weekend. There's like I say it kind of jokingly, but for real, there's about to be a. Uh, probably for lack of a better term to use in this situation an explosion in the space industry there, there right? was a, yeah i mean there's a company there's a company early early last year maybe middle of last year you'll you'll know what i'm talking about uh that essentially they were like oh well with a much smaller rocket we can launch uh, you know just 100 satellites at a time and we can do it much faster and more it's like it's less efficient, but with the reusable rocket notion in play, it starts to get interesting yeah. because you can just, you know, just drop it off, come back down, drop it off, come back down. And the company did its first successful launch and then immediately got hundreds of millions of dollars in funding. As soon as they were like, oh, it works. Everyone well, contract, was like, take our money, the make us more humongous. money. <laughs> right. The contracts are for billions of dollars over, over yeah. many years. So yeah. the, um, the other exciting slash interesting component to this is that the United States has not itself as an entity, the, the NASA, NASA as a space agency, hasn't had a way to get its own astronauts to the International Space Station since we decommissioned the space shuttle. And so They're our all hitching rides on Russian. 
Mostly they're all Russian riding up with rockets. the Russian space agency, which so is a, a wonderful uh, collaboration between the two countries. And I hope that eliminating that and making this capitalistic doesn't sever one of those ties that brings two great nations together, despite what you might think of uh, all the nonsense that's going on at the moment. Yeah, that's a really critical. That's an interesting piece of that. Right. Did I just sound like a like a horrendous communist? Do you think uh, people are coming after me now? No. <laughs> great nations. <laughs> they are. They're great nations with great histories and great lots of great people. <laughs> uh, well, so I think I think the less political answer to that is sort of like the Neil deGrasse Tyson tack, where it's like, and that public sphere will continue. There's an aspect to this where. It's going to get privatized. All this other stuff's going to happen. It's going to be around communication infrastructure and this and that and another thing. And eventually military, which is terrifying, but it's a different uh, conversation. At the same time, the Star Trek tip, the ex exploration tip, the right. science piece is just what drives everything forward. If you listen to the full length of the of Kennedy's, uh, you know, uh, what's the quote? What does he say about going to the moon? We will go. Uh, we're going to go to the moon, not because it's easy, but because oh, yeah, it's the, difficult. Something uh, like that. <laughs> that exactly. Like the famous Kennedy speech, right? Like you hear the short version. The long version is about how we have the best schools, how we have the best scientists. True. true. And, and, and this is why we will win the Cold War. True. It's bananas. <laughs> um, we should play that for the rest of the episode. <laughs> By the way, as an aside, let's just that's roll our, with this as the episode. That's our and space we'll episode. The intro. Uh, there's a, there's plenty to talk about here. I think. Yeah, we can do that. Yeah. Um, okay. So I mean, what do we, um, what's the, I'm keeping all this though. The VR stuff is good. Well, I've got, I've got a good, yeah, we can do that one too later, but I got a good role here with it. So the, the piece that's interesting is I think a lot of people think of space as it's connected with the cold war, right? That's what, that's what originally made the original space race. It's what got us to the moon. Uh, as the United States, we were up against Russia trying to prove that capitalism could beat out socialism and uh, communism. And the race now is changed. Now it's private companies in the United States trying to get there. It's still big uh, governments in other countries trying to catch up with these technologies. But in the United States, the, the private industry is about to make it into space, which what that shifts now is that private in private industry spending vastly exceeds global military spending. And so up until now, people think about space travel and they think about governments owning space and militaries owning space and military spy satellites and all this crap. Well, first of all, most of that stuff helps us do things like drive to <laughs> drive to the restaurant you're going to because those are US military satellites that are giving you GPS coordinates. But what's what's exciting is that private industry is about to be capitalized by the desires of other private industries wanting to get into space. And so all of a sudden, it's not going to be federal governments and defense departments and military only exploring space. Uh, or at least that's that I feel like that's the mindset sometimes, right? Big government owns outer space, and that can be dangerous. And I, I totally agree, it can be. But now we will have uh, capitalistic incentives, which can also be dangerous, but in, it's a whole different entity now, right? The idea of people going to space to explore, uh, to start businesses, 
to capture asteroids and create new things and leave the planet and explore our solar system. That's about to happen for real, right? In a here's totally a different way. Ass. Okay. So here's a really weird thing about how to think about space exploration. That's like, uh, we, the units of organization that you just described there in terms of the current sort of out, like how people are like how, how space is thought about it's, it's based on these like, you know, essentially arbitrary geographic hmm. designations on the, on the two dimensional surface of right. the earth compared to once you're out in space, you don't have, you can't be like, well, I'm here and I walked over there. Like you have to have <laughs> sectors. So you either need to have like floating buoys that stay oriented relative to celestial bodies. And then you talk to those about where you are in space. So you can be like, bitch, from this point to that point, I own it. <laughs> but you need more than two points. Right? You need a bunch of points. to Sectors, define your sector. Romulans control sector, whatever, <laughs> right? It's like, so anyway, <laughs> so there's weird, you know, like, real weird conversations start to happen in that space because if the private piece is what's taken off, then like there's going to be this notion of is there land ownership is, is space. And there are treaties that are supposed to outline this stuff, but at the same time, people are going to do what people are going to do. It's real easy to define to make and money. sign treaties to break up. It's easy to define and sign treaties uh, regarding space that people can't get to, <laughs> right? So it's real easy for the right. countries to get together and say, who's allowed to colonize yeah, the we'll moon? Yeah, don't worry about it. We'll share the moon. Whatever. It's a natural resource. <laughs> but right, once you have five, six major, major countries with privatized space systems are heading out there, shit's going to get real. <laughs> it's going to be anyone can live here, but uh, we have sovereign space, you know? This, moon wars. This, this moon colony... This moon base is like U.S. only. Don't come knocking moon on, War One. On, the, on our. Is that on the? Is that on the? <laughs> is that on oh, the horizon? No. MWI. Oh, uh, How funny would that be to see people battling in space with like uh, samurai swords, but hopping around the moon? You do some cool moves in that low G. So, we just spawned a movie idea. A, <laughs> you just pitched Star Wars. <laughs> they don't do zero G. <laughs> Maybe in the newer ones. I don't remember. They're such trash. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It for sure is part of Star Trek. Star Trek definitely uh, has some badass zero G battle. Zero G blood. Zero G blood. One of the, the the zero G blood and first uh, one in Star five, Trek six, six, undiscovered country. Yeah, <laughs> opening scene when they assassinate the Chancellor. He was on a peace mission too. It's bullshit. <sighs> Who wasn't he played by? He's played by the guy that was Baron von Trapp in. Uh, Christopher Plummer. Baron Von Trapp. <laughs> Who's Christopher Plummer? In, in uh, Sound of Music. He's the like patriarch in The Sound of Music. Yep, you're right. <laughs> Google and my vision confirmed it right away. Nailed it. Uh, a bald Klingon was a thing I had not seen before uh, when that movie came out. That was a that that's in my running for best Star Trek movie, by the way. I debate this probably daily in my head when there's like downtime. <laughs> there's just a part of my brain that's <laughs> devoted to ranking Star Trek stuff. Uh, <clears throat> that one's that one's right there. It's excellent. It's super excellent. So when we started talking about this organically, uh, the first thing that both of us ended up talking about was space sanitation. There's already a problem of junk floating around out there, and the physics of it are different 
<laughs> like, uh, you can't just scoop it off the ground to pick up the trash. But like every time a little satellite goes up there, it goes and shoots off some shit that it doesn't need around it anymore. And that stuff just chills until it eventually falls back in the atmosphere and burns up, which is not necessarily a good thing either. Right. Uh, and by chills, you mean it continues to move at like 20,000 miles an hour. Unimpeded by air resistance or right. gravity. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's um, and so not only is it a projectile to anything trying to stay stationary as it passes through that field, but like, uh, it's definitely another trash issue. I mean, like, even if you tried to match it, you could like, it's almost like I mean, uh, uh, the the reality though of how a rocket enters orbit is it's more kind of like it goes <laughs> boop at a at a at an arc into that, that right, stream. So it's not as harrowing as it sounds, but if you're trying to have like geosynchronous orbit, the thing that wait, what's not harrowing about that? You're still on a missile that's firing you up to circle the earth. That's terrifying. (laughs) I just mean you're keeping pace with the projectiles. So they're not as likely to bash you at the actual 20. No way. Everyone's going in different directions up there. It's total chaos. (laughs) (laughs) It's true though. But also, it's so far. That's the people. You lose the perspective a little bit. Like you were talking about two dimensional space on our planet. You lose that perspective as you go away from the planet. It, space expands geometrically, and so it just becomes so much more vast. At a hundred miles off the Earth, there's more space plus the plus the three dimensions. So the third dimension. Believe it or not, this is a perfect segue to get back to VR experiences. The, the three-dimensional space that we're talking about how to conceptualize and essentially like live in and think about mm. these practical things like, oh, this thing is going on up here. The, the extent to which we have explored this for other stupid reasons is also hilarious. And if you go back and you listen to all of our VR episodes, I think we lead you through the extent to which we have tried to find ways to orient ourselves in 3D space in the presence of gravity so much in part so we can build this virtual space where we can pretend to not have (laughs) gravity (laughs) and continue to do the same thing i'm flying like a bird it's like you still have to have this awareness of where you are in this physical space even if the physical space lives on hard drive um they're weird it's it's like a prototype version of how to continue to ride a rocket into the sky without needing to burn all that fuel and shit and and have it explode and kill people. Yeah, just put us in sacks. That solves all the world's problems. I don't know why more people aren't discussing this. How is that not a presidential? Well, because it feels like <laughs> the Matrix with brighter lighting, like you know, with a put brighter color palette. It's the Matrix, but happy. <laughs> Hook us all up to a solar panel. Put us in sacks. <laughs> okay. Feed us some goop. So, uh, why did we want? Why did we want to talk about VR experiences? Well, the segue I thought you were going to do there that I just want to throw out and you can edit it out later if you want, but I thought you were going to go from 2D Earth to 3D space and then from 2D screens to 3D virtual reality. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Grab that and just say it. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's also, well, I think the interesting part about this conversation and like we tend to do, let's go back a little bit before modern virtual reality is all of this stuff is virtual reality, right? Video games 
popped out and that's like virtual reality that's the whole point that's why they're so fun right sim city is like a virtual it's literally in the name <laughs> sim reality virtual yeah, reality right. right simulated city so it was it's a it's a 2d situation but you're still playing these games where you're imagining being i'm taking little ninjas I, and double dragon or or fighting aliens in contra i'm gonna take it a step and, past that like uh, football is just war games like it's totally. it's it's you know it's virtual strategic reality. game played with people who are going to bash into one another and chess is that without the bashing and much more constrained rules like so it, you know so it, gaming question, runs then. way back to a represent it's still all a representation yeah. of at least the reality of how a human wants to think about a problem but you're right. playing against one another so it's it's this attack you know you're, you're so trying to my... beat the other person there's no it's not Chess is I totally very agree. civilized, but absolutely. So here's the question then I think that we have to answer before we can continue down this path of discussing virtual reality. Space what is reality? When uh, does dude, when does that stuff become virtual uh, reality? As soon as it leaves your head, right? As soon as you stop thinking about it, you're now in virtual reality. Well, that's that's you know, I mean, that's I think therefore I am, right? Like that's the philosophical <laughs> rabbit know. hole where it just tumbles into infinity, infinity. Because if I uh, reality only exists to the extent that I am able to perceive it. And so you're right. Like it's the allegory of the cave, which is like, I can't see the fire. I can only see the shadows on the cave. Um, you can't, we could chase it. <laughs> it's very, yeah, we should chase it's not a very bit. concrete. Um, I think where it relates to technology is, if you can, so, I mean, and this gets back to our previous technology conversations because they started with us being like gobsmacked at the fact of the fact of how quickly it was like, yo, I'm in a place and this is fun. <laughs> <laughs> and you and I were not traditionally gamers. I mean, we have played throughout the years, but I feel like it's the thing that fell away when other things that, and I kind of get back to it occasionally, but I don't have like, mm -hmm. I don't, I'm not going to play video games on the regular generally. Totally. Except now I am because I'm doing VR stuff, but they don't feel like video games because it feels more VR like playing exactly racquetball. Feel... <laughs> right. It doesn't it doesn't feel it doesn't feel at all like like traditional video games. It's very different. Uh... Um, but that comes down to the perception element, right? So if you can fool your eyes and your ears and the motion kind of works right, so you're getting the right proprioception. You start to have this feeling of like it does it makes you have a very interesting conversation about reality at the same time i don't know what to do other than be like i don't know some of it i trust and some of it i don't maybe that's artifice <laughs> but what are you gonna do i'm just i'm just cruising man <laughs> <laughs> um but the reality is the reason we're even having this conversation is because it turns out when you stack up enough of those elements which we talk about for an hour in a separate podcast uh you start to feel like, oh, I'm actually here. Like we, so, so I think the segue into sort of VR experiences, the reason we were stoked to talk about this is because we got a guest coming up who led us, who is the uh, historian who led us on a virtual tour of Nefertiti's tomb, was it? Nefertari's tomb. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Nefertari? Okay. Nefertari. Different princess? Princess. Queen? Uh, I should know more. We'll ask her. That's why yeah, we're bringing we'll her. her. <laughs> uh, anyway, it was really it, it was super cool, which restarted our sort of conversation about like, well, what have you been doing in VR for the last six months since the last time we talked about this? Um, 
And that kind of got us to this whole thing. Well, I got to be honest. I am taking great pride in finding things in VR that aren't games to do because there just hasn't been that much stuff that's not... There's like business applications on computers and then there's games on computers. And I feel like education hasn't moved in as powerful a way, right? There aren't like... There's all this stuff that you use for... This is probably a dumb comment. Is it a dumb comment? Uh, No. Education hasn't caught up with... The software hasn't caught up with education yet. There's something more abstract about education. There's like an experience I, component. I There's would a, say the reality, it's it's actually... It sounds better than that because there... I would say education is so far at the edge of adopting new things that they end up behind as things... as as technology rolls over, right? I mean, think about how quickly we had Encarta in our school library because it meant less books for them. There were CDs and little plastic cases. Really quickly, encyclopedias went virtual. This other thing went virtual. Like the stuff you need to do education went virtual, like literally first, because it was built by the institutions. And then you end up behind in this weird way where now like we're still going, okay, School is still a, an important part of how this works. And that has to do with teachers being in a place and walking you through a thing. And I think the reason that, that sticks around is because to some extent, like as human beings, learning is experiential. Uh, you just, there's a, there's a be in a classroom, think about the thing, go on a journey, use your imagination, be curious. But also here's the thing we need you to figure out about the world as quickly as humanly possible well there's also <laughs> there's also a point a part of part of education that's not talked about enough and it's a really big part and it's the fact that education is also just babysitting and that's so, an integral part of the model right the teachers are there to make sure the kids don't hurt themselves at recess and eat right. their lunch and put the right shoe on the right foot <laughs> right yeah absolutely. So, there's there's education too but there's like a physicality to the to the institution that has made it difficult to adapt to the potential for all this new technology, right? And we feel it so viscerally. Uh, and I mean, you and me, but I think society as well, right? There's so much information out there, but it gets lost. It's like not directed. If you just leave a, a, a young person to like find their way on the internet, that's not safe either. You need babysitting again, right? Of, of some sort. And so for all that, uh, if, if anyone, I know I say this every episode, but I'm going to keep saying it. If anyone hasn't seen the movie or better yet, read the book, uh, Ready Player One, like this, they, the rollout that they articulate in there in, you know, in the, in the context of fiction for how this technology probably ends up taking mm-hmm. over the world, I think is the, that's how it's going to happen. Yeah. It's so, it's it'll fiction, be so powerful, but, for but education. that's how it's, how it works. And in that book, free public school along with here's your headset uh inside of that headset is free public school is how everyone ends up getting vr yeah because it's going to be so much cheaper than physical space public school systems yeah it just is going to end up being the answer because how how you can't scale the current system we don't like we're going to run out of physical space so (laughs) Yeah, and it, at least it allows, cities, right? it allows education to expand 
right? A, a big a big part of what separates the United States, and I don't remember where this came up earlier if we were already talking about this, but uh, education is one of the things that uh, westernized countries in general, I think, but uh, the United States also is well known for its education institutions and maybe more so for its upper level education institutions. There's certainly many problems with many school districts in the United States for public schools, but there is still there's a there's a functioning structure here that doesn't exist in a lot of the world and it's technologically based and it's 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 monetarily based and it's it's based on hundreds of years of building this out and funding it and and growing it and being being able to to expand that and bring that to the rest of the world uh is kind of what we've done with the internet i just mean we as in general humanity a lot of that information is public and the drive for people who are born in other countries to learn English so they can access all this information. I mean, an interesting thing to go look at uh, to see where knowledge is, is to go look at Wikipedia and see the the lists of articles by language, right? That is that is kind of a representation of all human knowledge. Uh, there are other ways to look at it too, and there's a lot of stuff missing there. But in general, that's an interesting way to look at how accessible information is based on the language you learn. So that's widely accessible. It's accessible. Like it's it, again, it's back to we went okay. An encyclopedia is a good thing to have to the extent that salespeople have gone from door to door for decades saying, "I would like to sell you an encyclopedia. It's a valuable tool for your children." Mm-hmm. I, you know, uh, we put that into a virtual space. And I'm saying like that behavior is what you piggyback to get to the part of Ready Player One that's fun, <laughs> which is like we the we want to use it. video game adventure <laughs> exactly, uh, and that's what we so, all work but, towards, right? That's what I work uh, for, so I can do fun things. <laughs> yeah, but like, but you also can't deny that we've been doing that in a virtual. At least our generation has been doing that in a virtual space since the second it became available. Right. You just don't think of the world with Super Mario Brothers and turtles and and mushrooms and right. and you know. But like, you're transitioning through space in this universe of this established lore and like, you know, and like we were like 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 talk about it. so I, the gaming side is interesting to me because we can track back through this idea of like. Uh, the idea of virtual space is not a new thing. I, we've definitely talked about this in these episodes before, right? But what I want to talk about is the community aspect, right? The idea that school has to be there with other people or has to be some sort of experiential mm-hmm. or potentially guided by people. Mm-hmm. Like an interesting angle, uh, an interesting thread to chase on that front is through the idea of like, we've been playing multiplayer games since the second the network bandwidth existed, even before the internet. Yeah. As soon as we, we were like, yo, we cables. got 10, we have a computer lab with 10 computers all connected to one another. We're going to go play Quake. Right. <laughs> Just the 10 of us. And I'm going to shout at you across the room when I kill you. <laughs> that was the best. How fun, right? You go from being able to play a video game against one of your friends while all your other friends like wait to play to everyone being at a console, Right. Jamming out, first... having fun, sending trash talk and shooting missiles at each other. But all in the same space, right? <laughs> all in the so same it's like space. you see yeah. the pictures and they're funny because they're not digital, except that they were scanned in and they're of like kids duct taped to the roof playing with a with a computer on a shelf <laughs> while you know, just it's just it's still silly sleepover behavior. But we would then play this game against one another. Right. I didn't I didn't take part in too many, I think, by the time you guys picked that up. I had, I had I was doing sports. I did this stuff all over. You were a life. loser. I was a cool kid. 
<laughs> Turns out. <laughs> Turns out. <laughs> uh, what's what's the first one you can remember being to play? Remember being able to play on the internet? Uh, I think I was. I think I was rocking Doom. It wasn't like Sega or Fighters or anything. Doom two thousand. Doom. Doom. Uh, I think well, I like got Doom, the original Doom one. Deathmatch. One of the Dooms. Okay. Death so match. not like Command and Conquer, not like a strategic. Uh, it's hard to defense. remember because yeah. I remember trying to do like internet hookups with people. I remember internet game hookups. With oh, yeah, people. It was always clunky. It involved phone phones. We had connecting there with was a lot of there was a lot of uh, like listening to Woody Connor and me carrying our computers around to each other's homes and hooking them up with with like null modem cables, which were like serial cables with some some right. some translator in the middle and. Uh, I don't remember what came first, but it was all a huge pain in the ass because it took forever to hook right. up and there was like latency <laughs> between the systems. And it was it was a period where all of the games depended on your games ran at the speed that your processors and your graphics right. cards could handle. So one computer was always much better than the other one to be playing on and bizarre but, time. Yeah, right. Like the, people worried about ping because you couldn't play. It was like, how fast does the signal get through our connection? Because if there's lag, it's not fun for me to play. Yep. Because I just get shot up all the time. It's like, oh, there's a guy. I'm gonna move. Yeah, the winner Your head blows the off. The winner of the rounds always had to go to the computer with the lowest, with like the highest ping. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to keep things fair. Um, and so, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, so, even within that uh, sort of structure, though, you have this idea of like this physical space. Because every game starts with somebody spins up the host server, and everyone logs into that essentially to be on in a lobby in a, in a, you know yeah. like in a hangout space where you could potentially chat with one another usually just to shit talk and then you start the death match and everybody goes into game and plays against one another and it's like and that is a 3d virtual space yeah the game like, is very quickly moved in that's 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 where a lot of them seem to really take off is the time that the the connections and the processing and the the computer power was high enough to run this stuff was the same time that it could handle 3D virtual environments in the games too. So it, it kind of stayed, they stayed connected in a way. And so I would say the idea of what is, uh, what, it, what, what is a virtual experience and how does it take place in a space that is infinitely pliable is the thing that like video games have been chasing and they try to replicate reality because it's easy for us to just be like, yo, there's gravity, you fall. You don't have to teach someone that lesson in a new universe when you develop right. a game. <laughs> but like, uh, because of that, the physical space element becomes this really important thing. And once you take it into VR, it gets interesting because the things that we have always considered to be experiential, right? Like you got to go, it's uh, walking around a museum with an Xbox controller has not really evolved because we got to a limitation with the 2d screen and we were like, eh, this gets me all the information that I needed to know here. And like, maybe I could have somebody in a chat room talking to me through a thing, but it's not the same as being in a classroom with a bunch of other people. Well, uh, which we very viscerally experienced, I think by doing the, the Egypt right. thing, which we'll talk well, about more. What that but, also points out, I think, and this is maybe a little controversial, but museums just aren't that engaging. I love them. I absolutely love them. I love going to museums. They're interesting. They're fantastic. I would love to like own and operate a museum, but they're just not going to compete with virtual museums, right? I It's no longer just the dinosaur bones. It's the dinosaur. Right. Like I was interested to see that tomb, but I, I wouldn't 
have flown to Egypt for it. Um, and so, you know, even for someone who it's like, I'm independent and curious to go check these things out, like more things are becoming available in it. And it also in an interesting way, like there's just aspects of going, I don't dislike a museum, but like the ones with the coolest stuff, you got to wait in line for an hour. You have to check your bag. Cause they don't want you to carry a thing you could steal with through it. It's like, right. it's just the whole, you know, it's not. So there's this, you can break the collectibles in virtual reality and they'll just respawn. Right. So like, <laughs> how satisfying so is world, that? You get to see all so the like, sides. It's not like glass in the way. Yeah. And... So, so having that control over the thing is like, so, so, you know, uh, we should talk more specifically about the Egypt thing a little bit, but essentially like, you know, the experience is a, uh, a, t a tomb and they have just <laughs> taken really high res pictures of this sort of like finite physical space that you could go walk through in real life, but they've taken good well, enough this, pictures this was, that I can go get real close and go, Oh, that's interesting. Well, this was specifically, there are two Nefertari tomb experiences in VR right now. One is, is specifically high res photos re-rendered as it exists. Now, the one that we toured was a reconstruction of how it looked when it was first built. Um, and so it was still the right physical space, but it was also like it was brand new. It's like we were in the tomb the day that Nefertari was laid to rest inside. And they the have tomb. all the lanterns uh, and stuff running. There's like flickering fire the whole time. You know, there's just aspects. It of was it spectacular. That are, that are remarkable. It was absolutely spectacular. And I think what what it gets to is I love doing I love going to the museum and then kind of doing the guided tour thing. But I don't like doing the one where I put headphones on. Like, I like it being a small enough group with a tour guide where, hmm. like, if you have a question, it's not going to burn so much of everybody's time. Like, when you ask a question, every, like, a subset of the fellow people on the <laughs> tour don't go, oh, this guy again. <laughs> That's what I did on the Nefertari tomb. I asked all the questions. <laughs> uh, which was great. Um, I think it went fine. Do you ask though, questions was, of the tour Terminator wasn't upset. If you're, do you ask questions of tour guides in the real world? Hell Yeah. I don't. I don't. I didn't in the virtual world. I'm a either. big question person. But I but I enjoyed I'm being a... there for your questions. Big question person. Well, I pride myself on asking good questions. So but let's talk like more so other experiences you've like talk about specific experiences you've had other than the educational one. We'll get down that rabbit hole. Um in VR? Uh, on, on Egypt specifically. But no, in VR specifically. I've been playing a lot of that Racket NX game. Where I'll just be like, I got racket 10 minutes. I'm going to go incredible. play a little racketball. And that's essentially what it feels that's like. The, that's the most immersive, uh, the most physically immersive experience I've had in VR. Uh, it's racketball, but it's like, it's imagine uh, Tron racketball in your living room. It's that in sphere. You're, you're fully diving around the room. It's a 360 degree globe that you're playing inside of. Uh, 360 degrees doesn't even say the which word 360 degrees in multi-dimensions dynamics which means spin to for sure it has you know proper spin mechanics the ball all around the room it's it's it, it's it was a new level of vr experience for me compared to the other things i've played um and uh and of like most things i can only play it for like 20 minutes because i physically get really hot and but i have like a pillow smashed on my face <laughs> <laughs> so you can't you just can't play for very long right, which i mean so, it's also okay though right like it's just fit into my life it's totally fine where i'll play a match maybe two if i'm not feeling too sweaty and then i go back to work i mean it'll be it'll be hysterical 
photos in the future looking back when it's something lighter and easier right, right. um but uh so so you know i mean but part of that is the different what you know like before having to have the vr piece of the conversation it was like the only way you experienced racquetball was to go out and play racquetball now in vr they have a thing that's like to me it slots right where i would occasion like where i used to go i used to play squash with uh, a buddy regularly um this makes me feel that way except i don't need a buddy which makes coordination easier <laughs> and i don't need a gym membership um but like there's there are other experiences that we have traditionally thought of as that sort of like okay you got to go out in the world and do this and so coordination is an issue and transportation is an issue right. and it's like i love live music um and there are some experiences that i'm like i'll go see a show at the hollywood bowl once maybe twice a year if it's the right you know act but i'm over the scene for anything smaller than that at least around la like you got to get into town and then you got to pay for drinks <laughs> and you're just getting jostled around by people and then oh the jostling you know and then and then everyone kind of politely enjoys the show <laughs> you know and then you try to get home without getting killed uh well the you said something interesting about the racquetball uh you said you don't need a buddy and you don't necessarily right you can play you can play that particular game by yourself but i also tell uh, you, you every single time yourself. i'm starting to play on the off chance right. that you're available i'd rather but, play with you right we can <laughs> you can also play competitively but also of interest is and and this this i didn't play video games at the time when online really became central to every game um which i guess i hadn't even really conceptualized right xbox and and playstation and all of those have headsets and people have been kids have been playing games like that for years now, probably for a decade. Right. Um, but it's incredible to be in a gaming system. And for me specifically recently, it's been in VR and you just get paired up with random people around the world. And so you'll get someone who just doesn't speak your language and maybe you're playing a cooperative game. Maybe you're playing a competitive game and you'll hear them probably using profanity in a foreign language or trying to communicate, Hey, great job. Way to go in another language. Or you'll be playing with like a little kid. Uh, or an, a much older person who's in the... It, there's such an interesting diversity to it as well. So you can get in there with your buddies if you happen to have a buddy that has the same system and that you do. And within these ecosystems, there are celebrities. Like, there's a whole media streaming aspect of this thing where, like, Twitch. Twitch is entirely for saying, you don't even have to play the game. You can just watch me play and talk to me, which relates to an impulse <laughs> I've always said. Like, until VR... I was really passively interested in any game that I couldn't carry on a conversation whilst playing. So like I've continued to play Super Mario Brothers, but it's usually with a friend sitting there and we half have a conversation and we half <laughs> play Mario Brothers. Like uh, above that level of complexity, I start to feel like don't be here. I, I, I need to focus, to, <laughs> you know, to beat totally. this level. Um, VR is providing a lot of experiences for me that are way more like I can get someone I know in there. We can talk, but the whole time we're just kind of batting this ball back and forth totally. and having this challenge that takes part of like, just, just distracts a certain part of our brain. Yeah. It's not all racquetball. We do dungeon runs together and stuff. <laughs> uh, I played years of world world of work. I, I had a year in college where I was deep down two, three hours a day at world of Warcraft. So right. I'm not unfamiliar <laughs> with this behavior. Uh, it just is not, 
I've, it's not been something I've continued to pursue doing for whatever reason. It's not like right. a value judgment. Um, having people to do it with where there's a date and you go do a thing like a land party, <laughs> right? It's still a thing that I seek out and everyone else does too. So the land party impulse is not a nerd problem. It's, it's just a, it's a human problem. <laughs> we like to get together. Um, and you're able to do that in the museum context. And so being there for the museum thing made me realize how much I enjoy the guided tours when you have an expert yeah. there, but it's just a hard thing to get if you're going to like the museum of modern art in New York, because that's right. a, a theme park experience in terms of right. the lines and the security and the cost. And, totally. Uh, like, yeah, this, this, that the tour of Nefertari's tomb was really the, the presence that's available in current gen virtual reality is astonishing, right? You could, you can, you can see hand gestures and it's interpreting that appropriately. It doesn't have full finger gestures and stuff yet, but the, the software is interpreting what the person's doing based on the angle of the controller they're holding. And the, the, our tour guide could point at things and, and it, it was just like I was watching a real tour guide inside of a tomb. Uh, and it was, it was just, it was really cool. Um, and then there were some hilarious features of it too. Uh, like being able to resize yourself to go into small parts of the tomb, <laughs> uh, which was hilarious and and very kind of mind mind bending at the moment, because then you're the size of a of a small pot, but you're in a like you're on like a shelf <laughs> walking around. Um, it's uh, it's a, such a strange, just I don't even know what to think about it. Yeah, I mean that's that's that sort of gets back to the thing I was saying about figuring out things, but then like the next thing we want to do past reality and we've used it mostly for games at this point is like change reality. And so now you're like, okay, I can, I can move in space where I feel familiar. My body doesn't go, Whoa, what's this immediately. Um, but now it's like, Oh, but if I could shrink myself, I could walk inside that pot. And the designers are like, okay, <laughs> all you gotta do is take a couple pictures inside that pot, plop it in the model. And it's there. I mean, it's like maybe it's not worth the processing power to show it to you. Uh, but you could also not even generate that until I walk in there. And then yeah, it's not really any different than any other environment for how much content you got to load. And it's just weird. Like, have you ever have you ever been on a trip and toured a ruin? I have unfortunately never toured a ruin in real life, we, or at least not the kind I'm picturing at the moment. Like we old went to see ruins. the yeah, we went to see the ancient uh roman baths cool. uh, somewhere like outside of london i think uh it's just it's just very interesting but it's very constrained because like for preservation reasons right like you can only go so close to certain things so it's very much like we just stood in a line with a whole bunch of other people and went oh interesting and took some pictures and like oh how about this is like milky water in there but nobody's gonna go in it because it's, yeah, it's not super satisfying yeah um it was a really cool thing to see but like I wasn't shrinking myself down and walking in pots, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I I would imagine you weren't. Uh, word. Um. So that feels like a good that feels like a good warm up for the Egypt experience, right? <laughs> like there's so much crazy stuff. Like because it's a new medium, you know. There's there's an extra layer of experience to this whole thing, and I guess this is the question of persistence, right? Is this going to fade off or not? I think everyone picks up VR because the novelty that we're explaining is attainable now. Will we keep going on museum tours? Have you continued to go on museum tours? 
Yeah, hell yeah. I don't tend to do these unless you invite <laughs> me, but if you do invite me, I, I usually say yes. Uh, just I, yeah, gonna... I haven't sought any of them out, but I've been seeing them. I did a virtual Apollo 11 launch mm-hmm. program that was pretty cool where you just sit in a rocket and they kind of show you what you would see yep. if you were in the rocket. Um, yeah, that was rad. I cried doing that one when I landed on the moon and got to like jump around the moon. That was amazing. I didn't get, I didn't get to that part. Something phone rang or something, and then I kind of never got back to it. What a bummer. You never made it to the moon because the phone rang. <laughs> what a jerk. Whoever called you ruined ruined everything. Uh, that's a perfect segue back to the the callback to the space news. But I feel like good work, sir. So we we are we will actually be having the uh, historian who led that Egypt the tour Egyptologist. On the podcast, an yeah. Egyptologist, on for a separate episode. So Brian can talk about his current pet rabbit hole <laughs> yes let's talk about the egypt ancient egypt civilization yeah man i'm excited to talk about papyrus and shit hell yeah <laughs> a form of paper so popular it decimated a local plant population right we've been decimating populations forever that's not new <laughs> we're just better at it now well subscribe and you won't miss it thanks for hanging out for uh another one of these And thank you, as always, to our supporters who throw us as little as a buck a month to help keep it going. Uh, If you want to jump in over there, it means the world. Support.zengineeringpodcast.com. I'm Adam. I'm Brian. This is Engineering Podcast. Keep it real. Or no. Keep it virtual.